and hope does not disappoint. I've been thinking a lot about hope over the past couple of weeks. The events in our community and around the world and sometimes seem to be without hope. And so I've really been searching for it. Hugs from some of our Taft Elementary students have been a little longer these days and more plentiful. And even as I say this, I see the faces of our kids from war-torn countries, and I feel hope somehow in these hugs that are given to me by Agatha and Francois and Rabia and Kimberly and Princess. A definition that I found on Wikipedia says, hope is a feeling of expectation and a desire for a certain thing to happen. It's a desire with expectation of obtainment or fulfillment. And through this definition, sometimes in my world, an example of a hope I have might be, I hope I make it to the gas station before I run out. I hope it doesn't rain on Taft Family Food Pantry Day. Mark might say, I hope the vandals will win. <laughs> so when Paul says in the scripture that I just read, hope doesn't disappoint, I kind of scratch my head because I've had some pretty disappointing hopes. And then I take in the news of the day and witness some pretty hopeless situations. So I dug into Romans this week to learn more about what it was like during the time that Paul actually wrote this letter. I wanted to better understand his thoughts on hope. Paul wrote the letter to the Romans in approximately 57 AD, just a little over 30 years after the death and resurrection of Christ. Christians in first century Rome were often poor and sometimes enslaved. They were oppressed by a powerful government whose main goal was more power. But Paul tells them, hope doesn't disappoint. Now, some of the references in this letter suggest that there were at least five house churches in the city of Rome, and Paul hadn't actually been to Rome yet. He wrote this letter to prepare them for his first visit there. He wanted to give these new Christians a careful and detailed theological introduction before his arrival, which made this entire letter to the Romans an elaborate and really dense theological essay. His writing tends to follow something like this. He tells them what he's going to tell them, then he elaborates on what he's told them, and finally, he tells them just what he's told them. It should be simple enough, but it's so densely packed that many biblical scholars over the years have worked really hard to interpret and help make his messages understandable to listeners over time. But it is agreed upon that Paul's main theme in this letter to the Romans is that salvation is the ongoing work of God. It's rooted in the story of Israel, and it's unfolding now as all nations come to follow the one God of Israel through faith in Christ. And so Paul says, hope doesn't disappoint. And I wonder what he meant when he wrote to the first Christians. And I wonder what this can mean to us today. And you may wonder why I'm preaching on this on All Saints Sunday. But I think hope has a lot to do with our lives as followers of Jesus. Our Christian tradition talks a lot about hope. 
So beyond the definition from Wikipedia that I just read, what is Christian hope? The most con common answers that we might hear are hope in the resurrection and hope in heaven, a place where we and our loved ones go after we die. So, full disclosure, I went down a bit of a rabbit hole this week, as I many times do in preparing for a sermon, and I reread some of N.T. Wright's book, Surprised by Hope. N.T. Wright is an Anglican bishop and a New Testament biblical scholar, and he's authored over 70 books. His writings and research around heaven and resurrection have been really impactful for me over the years. And so I really wanted to spend time this morning sharing about the way resurrection was understood by the ancient Hebrews and then by the first century Jews and then by the early Christians. And I really wanted to spend time talking about the mystery and the wonder of the resurrection and how the women and the first disciples who found the empty tomb and then had encounters with Jesus, sometimes recognizing him, sometimes not, how they barely had language to describe this event as they ran to share the news and how the early church formed and grew so quickly. And I really wanted to talk about the hope of heaven and what Jesus meant by, you will be with me in paradise to the men who were crucified alongside him. And I really wanted to unpack how I think many modern Christians have missed the point in thinking that going on to heaven after we die is not just one belief among others, but sometimes seems to be the point altogether of being a Christian. But... Maybe I'll save those notes for another time. Because on this All Saints Sunday, I felt the Spirit pulling me to stay focused on hope. So what did Paul mean when he wrote to the Romans that hope doesn't disappoint? Paul didn't see the world with rose-colored glasses. He was not an idealistic Pollyanna who thought, only thought the best of people and horrible situations. Paul's the one who was on the road to Damascus, ready to do some pretty horrible and murderous things to the early Christians when he had an encounter with the bright light and ultimate con conversion through Ananias. No, Paul understands the reality of his current cultural and political situation. And in first century Palestine, everybody understood how the world worked. They were living under the Roman Empire, the Romans got to rule most of the known world because they had the biggest military, the most money, and were willing to do whatever it took to secure their power. They held that the amount of resources in the world was limited, so you did whatever you had to do to make sure you got as big a share as you could. And then there's Jesus. The preacher from Nazareth who told an entirely different story, saying that things like people who were merciful and meek and peacemakers and those who hunger and thirst after justice are blessed. Jesus taught them to radically rethink the priorities and value systems around which they oriented their lives. And Jesus didn't just tell this story, he lived it out. He spent time with those who were considered outcasts by the world and even the religious system. He taught, ate with them, and he healed all people, regardless of where they fell in the societal class. Jesus told the people of his day to reconsider a different story, 
a different understanding of what was really possible. He isn't teaching them how to leave the world. He's teaching them how to live in the world. It must have been like one of those Escher drawings where you're seeing it and you just can't glance at it and get it. It compels you to stare at it a long time. It stretches the viewer to reconsider the boundaries of their understanding and reconsider what's really possible. And Jesus taught his disciples to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So I believe to understand Paul's writings on hope, we see that the resurrection event changed everything and served as a powerful symbol of hope for the first Christians. It not only demonstrated God's power over death, but it also aligned with the promises found throughout the Hebrew scriptures. These ancient promises that all Jews learned and knew about indicated that when the halves of heaven merged with the have of earth through the work of the Messiah, special care and protection would be given to the weak and the vulnerable, and caring for the poor and marginalized would become central acts of God's kingdom on earth. Paul and the early Christians believed that the resurrection of Jesus marked this beginning, the coming together of God's kingdom and earth. God had come to earth through Jesus. And the early church, including Paul, viewed the resurrection as the starting point and recognized that they were in the midst of and part of the unfolding of God's kingdom on earth. They were empowered through the spirit to carry on the work of Christ. That was the lens which, with which they saw the hope of the world. And so Paul is writing here to the Christians in Rome that he hasn't even met yet. He's seeking to assure them that whatever they've endured can be used by God for good. He describes it as something like a chain reaction assuring them that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope doesn't disappoint. I mentioned the hugs of our TAF students earlier in my message and that somehow those hugs seemed to linger a little bit longer and they gave me hope. And I've got a photo, if you'll, you'll put that up there. Well, this past week, I attended a family and community engagement conference here in Boise with some of the parents of those students. I was asked to give a keynote address along with Dusty Hamlin, uh, one of our first grade teachers. We've developed a new thing this year at Taft in having parent cultural liaisons. These parents have agreed to be a bridge between Taft and parents new to Taft and new to our country in helping bridge language and culture in a very, very new place. So these courageous parents from Afghanistan and Congo and Mexico and Iraq, not pictured there, and an American from Boise, sat at the table with me, and as one of the, pre uh, the conference presenters had us discuss several questions at our table, I was filled with just such hope that I could be present alongside parents who have been through so much have sacrificed and persevered for their children and for a better life. And here they were, sitting with me, drinking coffee and eating bagels. 
And as we shared with one another, some of us got a little teary. We could feel the beauty of the moment. But then the next question came. The presenter asked us to share about a person in our lives who had guided us and helped set us on a course to be the people we are today, someone who had given us a sense of belonging. The American-born parent, she spoke first, and she talked about a teacher in her life who encouraged her to sing and be part of a choir. And then I tried to give a little bit of space before I answered so that our parents that are new to the country and from refugee and immigrant backgrounds could share. But there was silence and tears in eyes, but tears for a different reason. You see, several of these parents at the table had their own parents killed or were in abusive situations that they had to flee. And so this question brought up some deep historical sadness and longing. And in that moment, we shifted our conversation to what was present around that very table, the belonging that we had to each other, the affirmation of gifts and experience around that table, and the welcome of being part of something healing, not only for themselves, but as they also sought to connect other parents who will be new to Taft and new to country. And I think sometimes it's just that simple. It's that powerful. Simple words of compassion, acts of kindness, and a posture of welcome that connects us to the work that the Spirit is doing to set things right. As Christians, we're not talking about happy optimism to bring hope to a situation. We're called to bring healing and justice and beauty to this present world. We aren't talking about ignoring or replacing pain and suffering with cheerful optimism. We aren't people of the inspirational poster or motivational speaker. We have gritty hope and hope and defiance that there's a better way to live and a hope that what we do now will not be in vain. In Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, Paul writes, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor is not in vain. What we do in the Lord is not in vain. We are not oiling the wheels of a machine that's about to run over the cliff. We're not restoring a great painting that's going to be thrown into a fire. We are part of something that will become part of God's kingdom. Every act of love, gratitude, and kindness, every minute spent welcoming someone new, seeing someone, really seeing someone, teaching someone to drive and be independent, every act of care and nurture, of standing and speaking out in support of a vulnerable person, of forgiveness and love, every action that spreads the good news, all of this, all of this finds its way through the resurrecting power of God into the new creation, unfolding even as we are here this morning. What we do now is not in vain. It's like the stonemason <clears throat> working on a big chunk of granite that will eventually be placed to build a beautiful cathedral. He might chisel a line here, a curve there, a wave or a ripple through the middle, 
and he might not ever see the end result, but his part in this creation is integral to the completion of a beautiful structure that will one day house people worshiping God. I hope we can all experience that no matter what our lives look like in this moment, that something stronger, deeper, and more beautiful is moving around us and including us and all those who came before us and all those who will follow us into God's really big story. Our work is not in vain. What we do now is not in vain. And God's work of hope is found through the church. We are the beneficiaries of hope, and we're called to be agents of hope. On Sundays, we are people who gather together in order to share hope together and then go out into the world to be people of hope for the world, providing snapshots of what's happening in the world through Christ. I love the story that Chaplain Trent Lockhart shared last Sunday about Father Kaleo's church on the island of Hawaii and how that congregation lived in hope and brought hope during the pandemic through figuring out a food delivery process and also bringing backpacks filled with essentials and clothing to prison. And our own church, Collister, as we opened our building up during the pandemic, so high school kids from refugee backgrounds could use our Wi-Fi so they could keep up with their online classes. And then after church last Sunday, Kendall, who was just joining us for the first time, she shared this gem with a few of us. I asked her to share the story in an email to me, so I'll share her words. She writes, my grandma back in the 70s was making a commute from Denver to Colorado Springs about an hour and a half drive. It was during the winter and a pretty intense snowstorm rolled through. About halfway between Denver and Colorado Springs is what used to be a small little gas station town called Castle Rock. It was a town you just usually passed through. But this area had a tendency to get the worst of any snowfall and this time was no different. The interstate closed down at Castle Rock. The snowfall was so bad and there were sheriffs on the highway directing all traffic off the road. And the Methodist Church in Castle Rock had preparations in place for this exact scenario, which wasn't entirely uncommon. So the sheriffs were actually directing traffic not just off the highway, but to the church, where they had an extra hall with dozens of cots for stranded travelers. My grandma said they had plenty of blankets and food in the morning. And when the next morning rolled around, the highway was back open for everyone to continue their travels. We are the agents of hope. Stories like this about a little Methodist church doing what they could to love and comfort people and bring hope and kindness on the journey. We are Easter people. Jesus ushered in the coming kingdom and we're part of it. What we do now will not be in vain. And we're bringing people hope in the here and now. And the hope that Christ brings does not disappoint. I wonder if Paul is writing to the early Roman church because he may have been trying to give them encouragement, knowing that they may already have become so weary from walking the difficult road that Jesus called them to and thinking maybe switching over to the world story would just be easier and maybe some days it would be. But the example of countless saints over the years who have chosen the story of Jesus over the story of the world and ultimately 
have left the world a much better place. It's shown us that the more difficult road, the one with delayed rewards, is the way of hope. A hope that God is still writing the story, and despite the darkness, the light shines. Kindness and forgiveness and compassion matter. So to close, I'd like to end with a story about Florence Chadwick. She was an American swimmer known for her long-distance open water swimming. She was the first woman to swim the English Channel in both directions, the Straits of Gibraltar, and other record-breaking accomplishments. Well, in 1952, at the age of 34, Florence attempted to swim the 26 miles from Catalina Island to the California coastline. She trained extensively, and on the day of her attempt, she got into the cold water and began swimming. Several miles in, sharks began to approach her, but she kept swimming. And then a thick fog surrounded her, and she became disoriented, and while she continued to swim in spite of all of this, she eventually gave up and was pulled into the rescue boat. What she didn't realize is that she was only a half mile from the coast in accomplishing her goal. Two months later, she made a second attempt. Again, several miles in, the sharks began to swim near, and then the heavy fog surrounded her. But this time, she envisioned the shore, the destination, and continued swimming towards it and reached her goal. I think this story serves as such a powerful metaphor for our pursuit of God's call in our lives and of hope and envisioning the larger story that we're part of. On this journey of living and seeking to follow Jesus, sharks may come, sharks of doubt or lack of confidence or negative voices or difficult circumstances, and the fog may roll in disorienting us to the point where we lose track of where we're going and why. But perhaps we can visualize the shore as the coming kingdom of God and the new creation we're part of and the little acts of kindness and welcome and justice and advocacy we do now are not in vain. And maybe we visualize on that shore Christ and our great cloud of witnesses are calling us forward saying, keep coming. Keep coming, keep coming. Well, we proclaim this hope when we gather together around Christ's table to share in the memory of God's love poured out for us in Jesus.